immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Holoplot, the technology that features the award-winning X1 Matrix speaker array and integrated software that enables 3D audio beamforming and wavefield synthesis. Holoplot is pivoting the revolution in sound control that allows for a completely new way of designing and experiencing immersive audio on a large scale. To find out more, visit holoplot.com. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 80, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell, and Monica Bowles, as always. Hi, Monica. How are you? Hello. I am doing all right. How are you doing, Oliver? I'm doing great. I kept complaining about hot weather for the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's finally changed. It's not as hot in London anymore. How's your week? So one cool thing happened to me this week. My uh, digital audio Denmark interface finally arrived. I've been waiting for it for a while, but I'm very excited about that because it's got um, Dante Brooklyn card with 256 bi-directional um, uh, channels as well as 64 channels of Maddie, 16 channels of ADAT. Um, you're able to add option cards to get even more channels. Um, so I'm very excited to plug that in and start playing. Nice. Did you get the multi-channel controller as well? Um, not yet. So I think that's also on back order for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we need to upgrade um, the multi-channel interface uh, in the studio as well. And I've been I've been looking at this as one of the options. But then um, I also I think I mentioned it on one of the previous episodes about the Antelope a new device that was uh, launched or announced at NAMM. 2023, which obviously you've been to, still waiting for demo kit to arrive, kind of try before you buy, especially expensive toys. But yeah, it would be interesting to talk about how once you've integrated the new system into your studio and your workflow. Oh, yeah. For me, I think multi-channel controller would be a very important component to be able to uh, switch between different speed configuration, you know, and listen to different uh, individual discrete channels and whatnot. I think that's that's really important. Yeah, I know the dad has the mom, um, which, uh, you know, does all of that. But yeah, I think it's it's also on back order right now. So it might take you a minute to get it. But yeah, it's a cool piece of gear for sure. There's also um, the other one I was looking at was the Ferrofish, uh, the A32 Pro. I'm not sure if you've checked that one out. I'm not sure I've come across that name before. I'll, I'll look into it. That one's got a 32 analog I.O., 32 ADAT I.O., 64 MADI I.O., and 64 Dante I.O. So not as intense as the dad, but uh, um, definitely a contender for sure. Speaking of new gear, something I, I said a couple of weeks ago um, uh, in episode 78 when Avid announced um, the trunk expansion for hard on Bisonics, and I believe I said there are no plugins that AEX format that support up to 7.4 Bisonics. And just as I said that, a couple of days later, here we go, Audio Brewers announced uh, a new set of plugins that essentially support a higher order Ambisonics, specifically up to the 7th order. I don't believe it's a coincidence for a second. I think these kind of things are 
uh, announced in conjunction. So uh, good job, Alejandro, uh, the developer behind Audio Brewers, who's doing a fantastic job building these exciting tools for the community. And uh, a small spoiler alert, um, Alejandro will be doing an interview with us uh, at some point soon. Just a few words about the tools themselves. The update was relevant specifically to AB Imager. It could upscale first order up to third order. And obviously with the new update, now you can go from first order to fourth to sixth and seventh, uh, or up to seventh rather, which obviously is really useful. And uh, I'm not sure there are any new videos uh, on YouTube available demoing this this particular updated plugin version, but there are some uh, demos that show difference between first order and third order up mixing. Another thing I wanted to mention is something that was recently published in the AES journal, specifically about the Sonicom HRTF new dataset. The reason I wanted to bring it up is because I was one of the participants who was part of the dataset collection. I believe it's funded by the a European grant and it was done at Imperial College London in the United Kingdom. So I'm just going to read out um, an executive summary. So just to give a context, how this HRTF dataset is different to something that uh, maybe people have come across prior. Immersive audio technologies ranging from rendering spatialized sounds accurately to efficient room simulations and are vital to success of augmented and virtual realities. To produce realistic sounds through headphones, the human body and head must be taken into account. Uh, anyone who knows what HRTF is uh, understands the logic behind the concept. Having said that, the measurement of the influence of the external human morphology on the sounds incoming to the ears, which is often referred to as head-related transfer function, HRTF, is expensive and very time-consuming. Several data sets have been created over the years to help researchers and people who work in industry to commercialize and work with this data for various reasons. Um, nevertheless, the number of individuals involved and the amount of data collected um, for those data sets is often very limited. Uh, completely insufficient for modern machine learning approaches, for example. So this Sonicom HRTF dataset is introduced to facilitate responsible research in immersive audio. And this dataset contains HRTF of 120 subjects, which is larger than, uh, than other datasets, as well as headphone transfer functions, 3D scans of ears, heads, and torsos. Is that how you say torso in plural? I'm not sure. Um, and also depth pictures at different angles around the subject heads. So not only the the conventional HRTF, um, personal HRTF capture, but also um, different additional parameters that make the data set uh, much richer and useful for, for various purposes. So yeah, shout out to uh, Audio Experience Design team at Imperial College for creating this uh, data set and publishing uh, their findings on the matter. The, I'll make sure to include the link to the paper in the podcast show notes. And I think I would love to actually invite one or two authors of this paper and let them really go into more in depth how this data set can, can be used in the future and new research and developments in our industry.
Our guests today, Milia Roger and Grégoire Chavon. Milia is a sound designer for films and art installations. She has a classical music background and has a master's degree in sound engineering and Louis Lumiere in Paris. So she spent the last year of her master's in the Transdisciplinary Studies program at the Zurich University of Arts, Switzerland, where she developed an artistic approach to sound working with voice and field recordings. She's now living between Paris and Zurich, working post-production for film and her personal art projects. Grégoire is a sound designer, graduated from prestigious La Famise in Paris, working mainly with cinema. He uses field recordings to the foreground in his approach to film sound and never hesitates to leave the studio in search for new material. His interest in collecting unique and immersive sounds led him to develop in collaboration with Milia and Hal a recording rig designed specifically for Dolby Atmos Capture. So once again, hello, Emilia and Gregoire. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. And sorry for the French accent. <laughs> Let's go all the way to the beginning. Please tell us a bit more about your background and how you got involved with immersive audio. As you were saying, uh, I have a technical background in sound engineering. And for the past uh, years, I've been more and more involved in field recordings. First, I started as an intern with uh, Emil Klotz in Köln in, in Germany uh, with his company called Tonsturm. And there I got super um, amazed by, by multi-channel field recordings. And I wanted to spend more and more time outside of the studio in the fields. And that's how I got pretty fast into thinking field recordings specially made for for using them in cinema and other type of uh, of media but uh, also working more in uh, radio and then now my my own um, artistic practice but basically that's how I started yeah um, so I studied uh, sound for movies uh, uh, in uh, La Femis uh, in Paris. I, I, I've always been interested in uh, sound editing and um, uh, really, really soon, sorry, uh, I, I was interested in uh, creating uh, immersive uh, soundscapes, um, but uh, I was never really convinced by uh, creating uh, piece by piece, uh, like a piece of sound uh, in the front and uh, in the back to do uh, an immersive uh, soundscape. So really soon, uh, I tried to record uh, real multi-channel uh, ambiences and uh, felt like it was uh, always... Uh, I, I felt like nature was always more creative than uh, what I can do with uh, as a sound editor. So uh, that's how I got into uh, recording immersive and multi-channel. Uh. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about HAL Audio and what exactly that project is? Okay, so uh, Al uh, is a French uh, audio post-production uh, company um, and it gathers sound engineers, sound editors, re-recording mixers. Um, it started uh, mostly with uh, cinema sound in mind. Now they are, uh, we are working uh, for a, a sound installation in a museum, uh, uh, advertisement and um, podcast and uh, every uh, aspect um, of uh, sound, I guess. Um, so the aim is to use uh, uh, creative uh, ways of telling stories through sound. Um, 
and uh, developing new tools to uh, help um, designers and uh, sound engineers to uh, achieve that. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, HAL released Boomit uh, recently, um, which, is, uh, which aims to help integrate um, studio uh, voice recording and make them more uh, lively and like it was Boom. You know, like the, the library that we release now with Al is the first library that, that they are releasing. So it's also, it's also a tryout, right? Because they, they wanted to, to provide new content, as Gregoire was saying, for, for, um, for post-production. And so that's how we started also the, the project with, with the libraries. But Al is way more broader. And so we are just, I mean, Greg and me, we are just... In a, in a tiny part of this huge uh, nest of creative minds, basically. Amazing. Well, to be honest, it's a kind of like a perfect segue to our hot topic today, which is sound library for immersive formats or, or immersive formats for the sound library, um, however you want to put it. Obviously, sound libraries have been around for a long time. A lot of us who work in post-production create our own libraries. We constantly uh, exchange. Uh, we part of the communities. There's a well-known field recording community on Slack and probably loads more blogs and forums. There's also commercial libraries where you can purchase an incredible works of various people all over the world because obviously there's no simply not enough time to always be able to create a bespoke library for every single project you do. I think people who involved with libraries, they just enjoy uh, collecting, creating, exchanging, all of those things. And I mean, nothing beats a field trip to some amazing place to record some new sounds, obviously. Um, with the emergence of new generation immersive media, we see more and more need created as a result. And uh, for these, for the sound libraries to expand into immersive formats, and we're talking about ambisonics, Dolby Atmos, and various other 3D or maybe just like large surround formats, etc. But with, with the manipulation of software, you can go from any of those options into anything else. So it's quite interoperable in that sense. So kind of going back to my question, you've launched this a library that you collaborated on between uh, yourselves and uh, whole. Uh, so the library is called Urban Atmos and uh, the, the clue is in the name. So um, you've captured um, a whole collection of you know, environments in, in urban areas um, and you, you can talk about it more in, in a moment. Also, you use this um, spaced array that was inspired by Dolby Atmos or maybe specifically designed for Dolby Atmos format. Can you go back to the project and can you just give us a little bit more information in terms of the project overview, how you approached it and, you know, what, what equipment you used, um, you know, the logistics and hopefully we can talk about the results in the end. Maybe just to explain how it started, because um, the, the whole library is in 702, so it means in total we have nine microphones uh, spaced in a, an array in order to record synchronized, uh, you know, like uh, uh, channels uh, that then we, we use for Dolby Atmos mixing theater. So it's really a niche dedicated, like the, the library is really dedicated for Dolby Atmos, Dolby Atmos mixing films. And the way it started was just that Greg and I 
matched and we had some small capsules uh, together, like little omnis, and we wanted to try out uh, multi-channel, uh, going more, like going broader than just uh, five zero. So we went into seven zero, just starting with a simple umbrella that we just, you know, we bought it for two francs in Switzerland and uh, we just clipped. It was, uh, you know, with the LOM, uh, the Uzi Pro, the capsules uh, EM272, the Primo one. And we just clipped them all around the um, the umbrella. We called it like this umbrella. And we were just, you know, trying trying things up. Uh, also to have something light that you that we can carry. Um, and then we were like, okay, we, maybe we can try with seven zero two. So we just make a hole in the in the umbrella, and we just um, used another, uh, you know, carbon. Um, how do you call it? Like a, just just a stick, right? And so we added like uh, another AB on top, all working with Omnis. And I, on my side, I mean, maybe it's different for you, Greg, but for me, I was convinced that Omni are just the best to record a large, immersive atmosphere because you have uh, the time of arrival, right? You have you have the, this difference. And I mean, all of this, I, I had my experience from, from Tunstrom and I've been hearing his libraries for so long and I've been trying with working with that. So it was really something that I liked and I wanted to work with it. And at that time, we were also thinking that maybe we can go a step further and go with 704, meaning that we need uh, 11 capsules. And then it's a whole different world in terms of recorder, right? Because um, before we could use only like a mix pretend, and then with 11 mics, well, how do we do, right? I mean, we needed to to put our two sound devices together with a wall clock synchro. I mean, it was it was really like you know like DIY things. Like we were just trying out stuff outside. That's how also we we met Al and we decided to to try something bigger. Something that, uh, you know, sounds good and also that has better wind protection because the problem with the Uzi Pro is like the capsules are so small and at the time you had only a very small body for the microphone. So, of course, in terms of wind, it was it was really bad. Like we couldn't record uh, atmospheres outside uh, as soon as there was a little breeze. It was, you know, it. I mean, we couldn't record. So... Um, we just tried to find a nice partnership uh, to have a loan for 11 microphones because, I mean, it's not something that you have every day. And, I mean, for us, it was something that we were, I don't know, we, we were happy to, to try out, but also we didn't want to, to put all our money uh, on this and start our company. I mean, it was something we had less uh, ambitious, and that's that's why we, we gathered with, uh, with Al to to put all those efforts together because they wanted to come with a, with a library and we had this idea and, and that's how everything started. And so we wanted to launch a library that is durable quite fast and that it can be used by many people all over the world. Like the idea is not to have something too specific. And we thought that actually maybe the first one could be just urban sound because it's all over, right? It's way more difficult to record a good forest than to record a street. I mean, just because of noise pollution everywhere. And we wanted to record broad, various uh, soundscape from different cities. 
we didn't just gather some equipment. We had to to build a, a project, but the idea was um, was to start with the urban atmos. And maybe I continue just to see how all this whole thing started because it was already it was like two years ago. You know, like it took so much time to come up with at the end the library that is that you can buy on the website with the nice artwork with all the metadata and everything. It took so much time. It's so much work. And by the way, I just wanted to quickly mention the website and kind of everything, the presentation, the artwork looks so slick and inviting, like probably one of the best I've ever seen. So it took two years, but you can see the quality and you can see the attention to detail absolutely in every single element. Ah, super. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we wanted also to have a lot of variety, as you said, like just not releasing like 20 sounds. Like uh, now in the library, there is 101 different atmospheres. I mean, it's it's a lot of places. <laughs> it's uh, like it, it took a lot of uh, of effort to, to go in uh, all those locations, of course. And and at that time, just to come back with how we started the, the whole project, like to find the, the microphones, I was giving a workshop at the Zurich University of the Art in the Master of Sound Design, and I had one student who knew someone from Sennheiser. And I got through him in contact with some people in Zurich, and I could make um, just an appointment and say, like, hello, <laughs> we have this idea. Uh, would it be able to have some microphones from the demo stock? We got some microphones. I mean, it took some time, of course, because... Al was based in France, so we had to go from Switzerland to Germany to France in order to, to have some, uh, some demo stock. And we were all working with Omni still. And then we got in touch with uh, some people from Dolby France to just, you know, to mention the project. Like, hey, we have this idea, we start doing this and that. And they suggested that maybe we try out with some cardioids. And the idea with the cardioids especially uh, was for having more difference between the beds and the top to have less correlation and to really have a sensation that the tops are bringing something to the soundscape. Because with the Omnis, it was very immersive, very, I mean, also, they are, you know, the, the 8020s, they are very generous in the low frequencies. So it was... I mean, we had to cut a lot in order to have something detailed. And then with the cardio, it was a completely different color. But it took so much time just to try out with 11 cardio. Then we were like, mm -hmm, can we have 11 cardio now, please? I mean, it's it's just, yeah. So we we tried the, those different uh, colors with also different uh, space, uh, space, right, between the, the microphones. And that's how we, we started to collaborate with them and making some listening sessions and have feedbacks and and just to have some other ears, you know, like ears from people who are mixing in Dolby Atmos, who are working, who have more experience in, in working in this immersive format. Because for me, I had never worked in a film in, in Dolby Atmos before. So, I mean, of course, we need to, to have the, the pairs, you know, like the peers with us to say like, yeah, this I could use or this not or blah, 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 to, to just help us uh, develop the project. And maybe, Greg, you want to add something on the, just on the tree itself, like the way we, we build it? Uh, so from the umbrella to the tree, um, 
we started working with a designer based based in the north of France, and we still had uh, in mind uh, how an umbrella works. So uh, that's one of the things we asked to the designer was uh, that uh, the system should be uh, uh, able to be opened uh, as fast as an umbrella uh, or uh, yeah or, or a sun umbrella just by uh, uh, pushing uh, the thing uh, uh, on the center pole and then every uh, arms of the tree uh, just fall uh, in uh, like two action one action for the what we call the bed and one for the for the height uh, so that's how we designed uh, the the actual tree, um, and between the two, we also tried things with uh, just uh, a little uh, bowl made from uh, I don't remember what kind uh, brand of uh, mic stand and uh, carbon rods, um, but it was really uh, long to to set up. So uh, we ended up with this uh, umbrella tree. Uh, inspired that uh, is uh, actually quite fast to to deploy and everything was still diy in the sense that uh, you know it was it was made from um, sticks to do hiking that you can just open and then you have different size like you could really uh, change the the size of the tree depending if you were in a small place or in a broad uh, field and also just mentioning the wind protection because <laughs> uh, we also didn't want to buy 11 Rikot uh, in one time. So we went with this DIY way of uh, making them, following some tutorials um, online, especially from Felix Bloom and Sarah Lana, who were also putting some ideas together from a lot of uh, different people. So probably many people from Slack, you know, have been, have been trying out to, to build them. And so we used those, you know, like those toys uh, for kids that are really like you, you can touch them and they, they will just bend. So it's super practical to transport as well because you're sure like it will never break. And then we also sued all the wind protection ourselves uh, in order to, to have the, the same pattern everywhere. So we were also looking for the right fur, for, for the right thing that will cover all the microphones. So it was also part, you know, of all of this idea of really making a tool that is exactly what we are looking for and not uh, searching for any already um, created rig. Because we were, of course, in, I remember calling Michael Williams. Uh, we were also in contact with Ambient, but it was every time it took so long for them just to answer and we were, we were really craving to do it. And at that time, we also had the opportunity to record some Atmos uh, field recordings for for a film that would have been mixed in Atmos. And so we also, you know, we were in a rush for this deadline and we were like, okay, we just do it ourselves. And then, I don't know, it's the magic of cinema, like, oh, something happens, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, we never made it to record the, the, the sound for this film, but we had the tree, which was ready. We had time and we were like, okay, let's go for Urban Atmos. And that's how we started also, like, just to put some time. Okay, now we have three weeks. We go here, we go there, we go there. Maybe we, then we take some time. We have different um, 
like part of the year to not have only a wet um, road, but also dry, like to have, you know, this variety of sound that only comes if you spend time uh, just waiting for the seasons to to change. That's really, really incredible and so much work and dedication. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to, to listen to you. Can you guys maybe do a short segment on the specific locations you, you went to, uh, the country, the city and environments within those locations? And, and maybe just a few words on um, challenges of operating this rig, you know, getting permissions or finding the right spots and right sounds, a little bit about that. We wanted to to record sound that could be used um, in uh, as many places uh, as possible. Uh, so we went for uh, big cities uh, that all kind of sound uh, the same, like they look the same. Uh, every uh, uh, center of cities has uh, the same uh, commercial streets uh, and everything. So we we and we started. Um, close uh, from our home. So at that time, uh, we had the abilities to, to spend time in Paris. So we recorded, uh, of course, uh, a lot in Paris and a lot in Zurich, uh, which sounds, uh, in my opinion, a little bit like uh, bigger uh, cities like you can, found, you can find in, uh, maybe in the US. Um, and we we went also for smaller cities um, in the uh, not countryside but n- near uh, near Paris. And uh, every time we we try to avoid uh, places that sounded too specific um, and um, to answer to the authorization um, question, uh, we didn't uh, ask. <laughs> and uh, because. Um, we designed a tree that is actually quite fast to deploy. Uh, in three minutes, we were able to uh, to be ready to uh, to record. So each time we found a place that we thought was okay and nice sounding, uh, we deployed it, we recorded it, and uh, then eventually someone tells us that uh, ask us what we were doing. Sometimes. Uh, uh, when they knew what we were doing and that it was only sound, uh, they were okay. Sometimes we had to go and then uh, in two or three minutes, everything was packed and we moved on to the next spot. Yeah, maybe just to, to complete, uh, the idea was not to to take also the plane and and go uh, in super big, uh, you know, like a US uh, cities. We really wanted, maybe I'm repeating a bit, but we, we wanted to have sounds that are complete general so we were also avoiding uh, some markers like sirens etc of course there are some in the libraries like the idea was not to have only uh, 50 shades of um, of a psh, psh, psh from from the roads but um, but we really tried to have various densities of cars and population and also speed so from roundabout to highways to under tunnels to more like you know like river reverberant um, uh, side city when you have a like a fast way but uh, you are in the in the street next to it for example to to have like these different distances we recorded a lot at night of course to avoid birds to avoid being yeah in the middle of uh, of the crowd for sure um, but the idea was also to bring some some diversity so it, the diversity 
and maybe I'm repeating again, but the diversity really came from the, the time we spent. And the idea was also to have something local, but that can be used um, by many people for, for various um, situations in films. And also, I mean, just to, to, to mention, like we, we had uh, still many times the, yeah, the, the, the police also who just came, you know, because it's so, people were curious about this tree because you, you never, like they never saw something like this. It's like there is only one, you know, and it also led us to very nice conversation or just like they, they were like, oh, okay, it's there, there is no camera because, for example, in France, you cannot just put a tripod uh, in the city for filming, but for sound there is no rule, so it was completely okay to to just deploy the tree. And in some places like La Défense or you know like the the, um, the neighborhood with a lot of uh, security because there is so much business around, then they would um, ask us to go sometimes. But uh, we were fast. <laughs> How many countries or cities have you kind of covered to make up this library? But it's a bit hard to, I mean, I cannot even remember because we, we went, uh, like it depends what you count as a, as a city. Like uh, there were many uh, also different, um, you know, like, um, how do you say, like la, la banlieue, you know, when you, go, when you are around uh, big cities, but you are not inside and you're just uh, around. Suburban. But I think he, uh, in total we have uh, six or seven cities uh, in mostly two different countries. So you've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the way that you uh, designed your rig and sort of evolved the rig's build. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about somewhat of the, the differences that you found between the different types of arrays that you've worked with and um, especially, you know, kind of what's the difference between doing the wide-spaced arrays um, versus, you know, other solutions inspired by more coincident techniques? So the array that we deploy, so it's a native 702 array. So it means that um, we can just drag and drop, basically, for from uh, the um, from Sunminer or from from your finder into a seven zero two uh, channel into into Pro Tools, for example. So there is no need for decoding or anything, uh, which is a big difference if you think for for example of um, ambisonic formats. Um, another difference, of course, is the time of arrival, like the to have. A distance between the microphone because you have a natural delay that brings an immersive sensation that is completely different from a coincident uh, mic array, right? Where the, all the capsules are stick together. Um, we do the opposite of it. We we have space. We we have large uh, distance be, between the mics, but still they are coherent. Uh, between them, so this is a huge difference, and it's a difference of of sensation. It's a bit it's a bit hard to explain only with words. I've been uh, also making some listening session with the uh, with the students in in Zurich, just comparing, uh, you know, like a first order ambisonic, for example, from Ambeo with um, with the seven zero two, and just having, yeah a sensation of uh, of a difference. But uh, of course, now we deal with 
perception, it's about subjectivity and maybe some time for a certain film or a certain um, setting, uh, the array is too big. Like you, you would feel, oh, it's the, the space is too large for this image or for, for this room. So you won't need it. That's why we, I mean, once again, it's really a niche. Like we only dedicate the tree for, for large atmospheres that most of the time are outside or the, that have a notion of space and acoustic that are, that are quite rich uh, for, for this time of arrival to make sense. Otherwise, if we are just recording very small car, I mean, we cannot even fit into a car. It's, it's you know, uh, so it's completely different use. Like there is no, oh, this one is better than, than the other one. It's just a different um, use, utilization of, um, of the array compared like to use the, the 702 and to, to use an ambisonic, for example. Um, and it's also not the way, not the same way of transporting. I mean, now with the tree, the recorder and everything, we are about 13 kilos and we are two to operate. Yeah, when you compare just having an ambisonic mic uh, in your in your bag alone, like it's it's not th the same work at all. It's, <laughs> I mean, uh, I wish the tree was uh, so much lighter and it's already super light, but it's just big, and yeah, it's not the it's nothing to compare uh, in terms of um, use in the field for sure. Because we work with seven mics and that we are dedicated for film, of course, we center also our recordings. Like we say, okay, where is the image? Like what is, where are we listening at? What is the first, like uh, the foreground? What is the, the background? And so we give an attention in which direction we center the recording, which is completely different if you record with ambisonic and then later you say, oh no, I want to listen to this uh, side or to this side. Like, for, for us, we decide when we are in the field, when we are recording, okay, this is the direction that we take. And if we put it then on picture, uh, this is the, like the center will go in the center. Like it's also a very different way to, to approach, um, um, yeah, to appro approach a place. Like we have to center some noise. We have to to, to see if it's uh, balanced uh, between the places. So it makes the choice of the places very difficult because we want to have something which is, maybe I have to find another word for balance, but in French we say équilibré, like we, we need to have something that is not, uh, you have a huge car coming on the left, but nothing on the right. Like we have to give it a, a proper um, measurement somehow in the sensation of immersion. I don't know if it's clear. And uh, just to add something uh, about the f uh, working uh, by two, I, I, maybe it's a little off topic, but it's not just uh, a technical uh, con constraint. Um, I, I think that being two is really an uh, advantage to create and design a sound library because uh, it's uh, when we are working, we are continually uh, talking and uh, discussing about uh, what we are doing. And I think we are way more creative and uh, responsive, uh, being able to uh, have instant uh, feedback on what we are doing. Uh, we are also able to uh, set the recording device on a place and then someone can uh, 
watch over it while someone else is uh, still scouting. And so uh, I feel in a way it's really um, a privilege to be able to work this way, but we also uh, gain time. Uh, we are working faster in a way this way and I think better. I mean, for me, still when we deploy the tree in the street, like uh, I feel... Um, vulnerable because it it's so big like uh uh i'm also happy that uh that we are too like i don't know if someone has to yeah has to talk to to the police or has to deal with uh with uh, someone who stares and it's like just to explain or to to go in a in someone who is uh, i don't know on purpose uh, screaming uh, next to the microphone because he thinks or she thinks it's funny like it's also a way of managing the the field, like uh, the the people around, or I mean, it's if we were alone, I think it would be a total other level of stress uh, of just being out there with such big and expensive equipment, etc. I mean, it, this also makes a difference. Yeah. When you're recording um, these soundscapes, are you mostly recording them to be used in films, or do you hope that they'll be used in other types of media? Uh, since we are mostly working in films and uh, at HAL, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, people working at HAL are working in the movie industry, we, we really uh, designed it to be used uh, for movies. Uh, but we would be really glad to see it used in other uh, media. Uh, we know that uh, binaural mixdown uh, works quite good with it. But uh, we still didn't have uh, many opportunities to use it uh, in other uh, field. But we, we would be glad to. I was just going to say, and do, are you able to kind of see who has been using your soundscapes and kind of where they've been being used? I mean, there are some, some sound that we, that we recorded with the tree, especially for, for films. Like we went... Um, on set to record wild tracks for certain movies that were mixed in Dolby Atmos. So we know it has been used there, but uh, still because it's only the beginning and the, the Urban Atmos just released, like well, it's like 10 days. Um, we don't know <laughs> exactly where it has been used uh, since. But we also know that um, all the colleagues from AL, they already use the, the sounds or also Greg you've been using them but maybe with the down mixes I don't know yeah I, I've used uh, them quite inst extensively uh, since we started recording but uh, on, uh, mostly um, well only actually in a five zero um, but still in five zero it works quite uh, well um, but right now um, no, I, I will be working on a film. Uh, that will be mixed in uh, Dolby Atmos uh, next year. And the shooting is happening right now. So uh, we managed to be able to come uh, in uh, for quite a lot of days of shoot. Uh, each time there is an interesting location or uh, enough, um, I don't know, a figurant. Uh, the extras, with the extras, yeah. The extras, yes. So each time we have enough extras, uh, we are able to come with uh, the system and record specific sound for this incoming movie. I'm really excited about uh, this way of using it 
and not just designing sounds that are uh, thought to be able to work with any kind of uh, film. You're doing as wild tracks, but it's uh, material that will be heavily utilized in, 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 in the edit later on, but it will be already in the immersive format. That's it. And on the, re on the real location, uh, with the real crowd, uh, with, with the... So wh when I go there, I, I see uh, how the scene is shot. So uh, we, can, uh, we can think of a, a way of recording that is uh, designed to the, to the actual scene. So I hope it will uh, work uh, great and, and I'm quite uh, excited to see how it goes. I noticed, um, you know, you're talking about kind of searching through your libraries and using, you know, the kind of USC metadata um, and using SoundMiner. Um, how does that kind of work with the immersive formats? And I know that Sound Particles also has um, Explorer. And I don't know if you've used that or at all or kind of what your, your thoughts are um, with, again, just kind of like using um, or the different types of tools for searching, you know, libraries that are out there and how they respond currently to immersive um, content. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I have an experience only with SunMiner, so uh, I don't know how it works with uh, the other um, uh, software. Um, I think most most mainstream sound library management software packages whether it's a sound miner being one of the oldest and most advanced ones, most used in the industry, but there's a there's there's also Soundly, um, guys from Krotos released one recently. That obviously some particles. There's quite a few others we're not mentioning. Uh, I think most of them support uh, surround, and more and more they're expanding into these immersive formats up to third order ambisonics and and so on and so forth. Yeah, uh, in my experience, I, I uh, only uh, I'm only used to Sunminer, but I know that uh, Rodrigo Sasik uh, worked with us on uh, designing the the library and uh, did all, all the metadata work uh, and everything. Uh, made sure that uh, the library works uh, as intended with uh, Sunminer, Soundly, um, uh, Basehead. Um, so he, he was in charge uh, of making sure everything goes well, but for my, uh, in my case, I, I'm sorry, I, I cannot uh, say more. Yeah, it would be a nice question for, for Rodrigo because he did such extensive work just contacting uh, all the libraries, the developers, when he saw some uh, mistakes when we were developing the library, like just some channels uh, which were like uh, flipped or stuff like that to be sure that in the code it goes well. Uh, but it was such an amount of work because as you were saying, it's just the beginning and most of them are starting to to be in this, um, yeah, to, to be uh, 702 friendly, but still it takes some time. And we, yeah, I think for, for the future, I mean, now we did the, the, the big work, uh, I think, with, uh, with the Urban Atmos uh, and the way we were managing the, the metadata and just checking that every software was properly just sending to, to the door in a, in a correct manner. And this is really thanks to, to Rodrigo Sachik. Also, just mentioning that, uh, and it's something that uh, he came also with uh, with this idea. And for me, I think I never saw it in other libraries, but 
probably has been done for sure. Just, uh, you know, he made, it made it that on certain clips, most of them, I don't remember the exact number, but you, you can loop it directly. So just, you know, by duplicating, um, I don't know, like a three minutes, five minutes or six minutes uh, ambiances if you need more, if you just duplicate it, well, like you, you don't have to do any fades. And it's something that is also helping to, yeah, to, maybe to, to be faster if you need to, if you are in a, in a hurry or in a post-production that is very demanding. Uh, and it's something that, I don't know, I just wanted to highlight this because I thought it was quite brilliant to do. Yeah, I think that that's another kind of realm of these libraries, right? As you do the recording and then there's the, yeah, preparing them for being shared across all the different platforms. Yeah, it's huge work. And I mean, we did only the, the, the recordings, but I mean, Rodrigo just, he listened to all the material that we, you know, that we gathered and he had uh, the hard job to, to also start from the, from the announces that the, the names that we were telling, okay, we are here, we hear that, uh, we are in front of this, blah, blah, blah. But of course, then it's also nice to do all the naming without uh, having those information and coming up with the right words, the right vocabulary, the right uh, synonyms that uh, people are used to, yeah, to, to use in their, in their other libraries. So it's a huge... Um, Vo yeah, vocabulary work uh, the, that he did. It's it's a huge work. A labeling and metadata injection is is a huge part of this workflow, isn't it? And, and mm -hmm. if it's done poorly, the the, the library is not going to be as effective and as attractive to the users. And and if it's done really well, of course, uh, it's just a joy to use, and you just end up using it more. And shout out to Rodrigo as well for yeah. um, being instrumental in facilitating this interview and putting us in touch together as well. Yeah, something that also the way we could do it is because, I mean, and it's not something small, we got a grant also for from the government to help uh, developing uh, industries. And so we wrote, we wrote the project, including that we will have some expenses for Rodrigo, for example, to have someone that will be listening and editing and mastering and metadata uh, all the sounds. And this was, I mean, this was a huge help from the state to help us develop this project. Also, it's, I mean, it's something that uh, maybe that worth mentioning the, in the end. Just to clarify a bit here, maybe the, 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 the teamwork, because I mean, Greg and I, we really, we only do the, the recordings and then there are so many uh, yeah, different um, steps um, after us, uh, of course. But uh, what I can also say, and maybe for the next uh, library that, that we are looking, I mean, Greg and I, we are super interested in like just nature and ecology, and uh, and now after this urban atmosphere, we are uh, we are doing this um, forest uh, library, and what we can bring also just from other discipline uh, is also like the the work in the field you know like to to find the the right uh, places depending on okay maybe this forest um, will sound good because it's uh, this type uh, of tree there maybe we have less bird maybe the the wind uh, in the pines is completely different when it's or if it's leafy or you know like to find those different textures but also combining them with uh, with the knowledge of just 
more nat naturalist, even though we are just uh, like we have no knowledge compared to to a biologist or anything. But still, it's uh, it's learning by uh, all of all of this nat naturalist knowledge more by with the sound recording. I don't know if it's clear what I'm saying, but I just wanted to to maybe point out also this part of the job. Uh, absolutely it's and and i think also what what's what's been evident in in i don't know maybe you noticed the same kind of phenomenon in recent years there's been like almost like sudden renaissance in the in the field recording there's a lot more companies uh trying to be part of this market you know creating their own tools but also the the level and the the depth that people go to to capture something unique or capture something in a unique way. And now we're moving into more Im all things immersive kind of world. And we require all these um, sound effects, all these recordings to be captured differently in spatial formats. It's not just like a little short uh, walk in the park in the afternoon. You know, we're talking about like a two year project with a whole team behind it. So all of a sudden, you know, people being a lot more scientific about it and and that just elevates everything because now that metadata is becoming more richer you can be so much more precise in what kind of material you're using in your productions yeah i mean i find that really fascinating and i think it's it's really good for everyone and uh it's it's just it's just going to translate through the quality of the productions and the the final results that obviously audiences of whatever media we're talking about here will will be able to enjoy at the end of the day. I want I want to know a little bit about what the the future for um, your uh, projects are. Um, are there any other places that you're hoping to record? Um, are you going to stick within mostly urban spaces, or are you trying to? Um, explore beyond urban spaces? Uh, since it's uh, for us quite new to have a native uh, Dolby Atmos sound library, uh, the idea is to cover uh, the basic need uh, we have when we uh, edit scenes. So that's why we went for uh, urban soundscapes first. And so I think we will decline with uh, every other uh, basic needs we could have uh, as uh, sound editors and designers. Uh, so right now, like Melia said, we are working on uh, recording forest ambience, uh, which is quite long because to be, um, to be extensive, we have to record different kinds of forest, uh, deciduous, pine trees, uh, and uh, at different seasons. Um, so yeah, covering the basics, uh, maybe seaside, uh, wind, uh, all those kind of things, and and after maybe we will go for more specifics. Yeah, uh, I also want to add just uh, in general for the future. I mean, uh, there is also the question of music with the rig, and there is the question of site specific for films, as Gregoire was also mentioning before, like to. Like the the film that he is working right now, like you know, they were reading the the scenario and thinking where the tree could be used to have a proper, as you were saying, like this group uh, idea wild tracks made during the set and use the opportunity to use it with the right crowd. And for me, and to to think more in terms of narrative and being creative with this kind of format, I mean, it's really something that 
we hope uh, will 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 continue to to happen and maybe to consider really the the specialization of a film like the the space the narration through different uh, speakers uh, already in the writing process and the creative process of uh, of the films because I mean it's huge the all the possibilities all the things that that you can say that you can narrate also with uh, this immersive space right. So we hope it's also something that will that will continue and will also I don't know bring some new new idea and opportunities. Yeah, very cool. And so, what kind of do you see is uh, the future for spatial audio technology in general, and how do you see it helping empower um, immersive productions? I think the best that we can hope for is um, just. Uh, to have the the gear more uh, accessible in terms of uh, price and um, uh, size and uh, being something uh, that we can use more easily, uh, I think we can hope to have a more creative use of uh, immersive sound and think about it right at the uh writing of uh, the stories uh, at least in uh, in the movie industry and that it could be something that we think before production and not something that we add after the shoot and that of, way too often we say ah oh, yes but the action is taking place uh, on the screen be in front of us uh, the the surrounds are disturbing me uh so i think having everything uh more uh, easily accessible will benefit the sound uh, writing. I guess, I mean, at the end, so many people are just watching the films or, you know, like consuming creative media on their computer. And I, I mean, I think the idea of all of this is also to continue bringing crowds and just public into theater so they have like a collective uh, experience i don't know like maybe it's just the hope <laughs> from uh, from my side but i mean if they pay you know t- uh, ticket which is often more expensive to have Dolby atmos i mean they should get the show like it should be also something that is uh like you you can only experience it also with your with your body in a room which has uh, you know like this whiteness this uh, this space that that the those theater are, are offering of course it yeah it it can work on a on a computer with your airpods and uh, and moving the the head etc but i don't know i hope it will stay that uh, if people continue to go to the cinema <laughs> maybe it's just a uh, i don't know it's a bit um, naive but i guess it's also something that we think about so guys what is the best way to find out more about yourself and your work you do personally as well as part of the field recording uh, project. So you can find the library on al-audio.com uh, where you, you... That's H-A-L. Yeah, H-A-L-audio.com. And there you find the different uh, plugins that Hal was uh, developing, but also uh, the libraries. And just to mention that you can also download some free sample. Uh, so you can try it out uh, yourself. You have some stereo and some seven zero two, and you have also the ex- like you know like the the data sheet where you can read uh, all the specific specificity of all the um, 
all the sounds. And you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter. And then for ourselves, like for Greg and me, I mean, of course, we communicate about the atmosphere, but we do this through Al. And then we have our own adventure, let's say, when we are more into the field, when we scout for location, when we are, you know, with the smaller gear, because we don't take the tree all the time. Like, it, it would be a bit too much. But, of course, we, we are around with other microphones just uh, wondering what would be the, the next place where we could use the tree. So, for this, you can follow us on Instagram. Like me, it's Melia Rock, R-O-G. <laughs> and... Greg is Gregoire Chauvot, and if you just look at the names, you, you will find it for sure. What piece of advice would you give to anyone in the industry that really helped you in your career? It might sound a little cheesy, but I, I would say uh, doing some uh, what you love and being honest and do it passionate uh, about it. Uh, and I think in the end, uh, everybody... Uh, notices it so we we like uh, special audio and uh, wide uh, arrays so we went for it and <laughs> now we have a big trees so and for me i think what was the most useful just to start was to do as many internships as i could like uh, every holiday every two weeks every month it was always uh, seeing a part of the industry that was um, interesting that was different from some stuff that I, that I know from school and this brought me a lot of uh, contacts and network and I, I learned a lot by doing internship for sure. Alright guys, well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today um, I really enjoyed learning more about your project yeah, th thank you so much for joining us yeah, cool thank you so much. Thank you very much yep. thank you if you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.